Well, good evening, everyone. <coughs> I have a bit of a frog in my throat. We'll try and manage it. Um, I have one, just one announcement to make, and that is that uh, tonight is uh, Lauren Owen's last Sunday with us before she goes to the UK. Uh, she's leaving us on Friday, I think. Hey, Lauren, why are you going? No, don't worry. We'll, uh, we'll miss your friendly smile, and uh, I'm sure that your parents will miss you even more. So, and I'm sure that your mother will keep us up to date on Facebook with what's happening to you. All right, you want to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're still there, as it is my turn for now to, uh, to bring the, these evening messages to you. <coughs> Uh, Dr. Dave is here, but he wasn't feeling well, so I, uh, it's my pleasure to step in. Dave, you owe me. I'll, I'll, send, <laughs> I'll send you a list. So uh, let's start by reading from verse 21 in Colossians chapter 1, although this evening we want to focus our attention on verse 23. Actually, just one phrase in verse 23. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So our focus this evening will be on the phrase that we find in verse 23, hope of the gospel. You may remember that we, uh, last time we spoke, we spoke about when Nettie and I would go to a restaurant, and it's a Greek restaurant specifically, we may order a couple of uh, small dishes, like starters, and that would be our meal. But of those starters, there's usually one specific one that is our favorite. And what do you do if there's one that is your favorite? You have this, these choices. Then if you do what I do, you leave the best to last, right? Because you want to end with that. You want to have that flavor and memory in your mouth and in your mind as you leave the table. So we spoke about a couple of dishes the last time, a number of uncertainties that there were. A uh, question that we answered last time was... Uh, did, did Paul really mean when he wrote to the Colossians that Jesus is part of creation? And the answer was no, he's not. He is the creator. And we looked at the context there. And then we also answered the question, is everybody saved when it says that uh, all will be saved? Uh, in the context again, we saw that is not true. It's one of the paradoxes that I hope Andrew will, will uh, deal with at some stage. And then is it possible to lose your, your salvation? We find that specifically in um, uh, verse 23, if indeed, oh, this is of Colossians chapter 1, if indeed you continue in the faith. So it sounds like Paul is saying, yeah, but it's possible if you don't continue in the faith that you're not going to make it into heaven. Well, it's not true, again, uh, because of the context. And then, uh, is the gospel really preached in all of creation? We also answer that. So, for this evening, we want to look at the hope of the gospel that we find in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23. It sounds by, if you look at the beginning of verse 23, as if the Colossians 
were at a crossroad. It sounds as if Paul is saying to them, you, you have to decide now. You have to decide whether you are going to believe in Jesus for your salvation or not, if indeed you continue in the faith. So you may be at a crossroad this evening. You may be at that point in your life where because of what is happening or what has happened, that you, don't necessarily, you will not necessarily say these words. You will not necessarily verbalize your doubt in whether God is really on your side. You may not necessarily verbalize your doubt in whether you are truly saved, but you may waver because of circumstances. So it may be even applicable to you tonight to just think again with me about where our hope really is and why is it that we can go through this life, as Paul often says, rejoicing always. How is that possible? It must be possible if he says it. Sounds like he got it right then it must be possible for us as well. Hope of the gospel refers to living in union with Christ and sharing in Christ's resurrection. That's the meaning of that hope, of faith. Let me say again. It's believing in Jesus means that we have the hope of the gospel and it refers to living in union with Christ and sharing in Christ's resurrection. Then I want to add in such a way that the issues of this life will never concern you to that extent that you can't worship Jesus. Paul writes to the church and he says, your main focus must be this one thing. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, how does that happen? That happens when our circumstances does not affect us to that extent that we stop momentarily or for a period that we stop worshiping Jesus. So what will help us? Well, understanding what true hope is will help us. You may say, well, what is hope? Give me a definition of hope. Well, here is one. I can't remember which dictionary I used, but it says the following. Hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation or to want something to happen or to be true. Example, someone hopes for a promotion or you're hoping for the best. So last night, I, yesterday afternoon, I, I was hoping that the Springboks would win. Didn't happen, right? So this kind of hope, the kind of hope that we had about the Springboks yesterday is a kind of hope that comes without a guarantee. So then you have to ask, so is this hope of the gospel, is this the same kind of hope? And I know you know it's not. It's not the same. Hope of the gospel is completely different. The outcome and effect of the gospel is guaranteed. Therefore, the hope that Paul speaks of is different to our worldly hope. What is this hope? Interesting, if you look at the original text, the word translated hope is uh, peace. Peace. It's from a primary word that means to anticipate, and usually anticipating something that will be good. So let's ask another apostle to help us before we come back to Paul. And let's go to Peter. Uh, Peter seems to be that one apostle that can be um, accused of being an eternal optimist. 
And his eternal optimism initially was in his own power and ability until the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with him properly. And then his eternal optimism changed into the eternal hope of the gospel that he displayed so, so well in his later life. So this verse is helpful. 1 Peter 1, and we're going to read from verse 20, but in verse 21 it becomes clear. 1 Peter 1 from 20 and 21. Verse 20 and 21. Speaking of Jesus, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, listen to this, so that your faith and hope are in God. Knowing what we know about God, Peter cannot mean that our hope in God is the same as our hope in the spring box. 1 Peter 1 verse 21. Peter puts faith and hope in the same sentence. He puts it together, so that your faith and hope are in God. So how can Peter be so confident about the outcome of our hope? It's in his conviction in those verses about the source and the reason for the faith and hope that we have. Listen again. He was foreknown, Jesus, before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So the last phrase, so that, so why, why do we have this explanation? from uh, Peter about the faith and hope that we have in God, well, he rested in what God has done already and in who God is. Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He created all things, and he didn't make a mistake anyway. And then he was made manifest, and th the word manifest can mean he was defined or disclosed or discovered. So, not that, he did, he, not that he did not exist before, but he was made manifest, explained to us through the work of Jesus himself and the apostles. So, you believe in God, is what he says. This is my own summary of those two verses. You believe in God. Jesus was made to be discovered by you because of the work of the Holy Spirit. And what did you discover about Jesus? that he was raised and given glory. It is in what God already did, which was humanly impossible to do, that Peter builds his faith and hope. So we can look back at yesterday evening's rugby match and the next one that is going to happen, I think it's next Saturday, next Saturday, and uh, we may not have the same amount of hope that we had yesterday. And that's fine. Why? Because of what we've seen, right? Because of who the Springboks are and who the opponents are, and because of what has already happened. So exactly the same applies to God. We can have full faith and complete hope in what God is going to do for us throughout this life and into eternity because of who God is and what He has proven that He can do in the past. What He did for Jesus, He will also do for us. So, Peter builds his faith and hope on what is impossible to man, but what is easy 
for God and what God has done already. Who of you have raised anything from the dead? I, I've, I've rescued an uh, a apple pie once. But it wasn't completely dead. It still had some life left in it. And with enough custard, it made it. But only just. We can't. For God, it's easy. Hope in God is sure because of what God does. Hope in God is sure because of who God is. Let's look at Romans 5, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It's a wonderful verse to hang on to. You may abound in hope. Abounding in hope means that you will have more hope than what you need. So whenever you sit in a situation and you say, I, I'm, I'm now hopeless, Christian, it's not true. You just forgot. You forgot who God is and you forgot what God can do. And you forgot what God did already for you. You need to remind yourself of this. It's a wonderful habit to keep a journal, especially a prayer journal. You write down what you pray for, and you write down how God answers. And in times that Nettie and I would keep journals, we would also write down exactly what we asked for, and then the timing of when God answers. I, I have a journal that I keep on my, a, a prayer, prayer list that I keep on my computer, and then it automatically logs the date and time that I see an answer. There are some prayers that I've been praying for years. Does, does that mean God does not answer? He does. He's saying to me, no or not yet. We don't want that. That breaks down our hope because we forget who God is, we forget what God can do, we forget what God has done. So the hope that we read about in 1 Peter is sure, it's a sure hope because of what God has done already and because of who God is. Now let's go back and uncover what Paul wants the Colossian believers and us to know about the hope of the gospel. Three questions to answer or to understand, to help us to understand the hope of the gospel. What is the hope of the gospel? How can you get that hope and how must you react to that hope? And we'll start like all Baptists do with point number one. What is the hope of the gospel? It's a gift from God, undeserved, even, even unwanted sometimes, and it is of immeasurable value. I want to point you to Romans 5 from verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just stop there for a moment. Just think about that. God shows His love for us in that while we became better Christians, in that while we displayed full hope and trust in Him, and, and while, while we were diligent in our Bible study and prayer life and evangelism, and no, none of that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If I would ask you to make a list of five people that you are prepared to die for, what would they look like? 
Then, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by Christ's blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. It's good sometimes for us as Christians just to think about God's wrath and the fact that we deserve, if it was not for Christ, we deserve God's full wrath. Mercy will be for God to kill us and there's nothing left after that. Our sin is so severe in God's holy sight that it deserves everlasting punishment the most unimaginable punishment. But if you're a Christian, it's paid. If you would arrive in a courtroom in heaven one day, and Satan maybe would be there, and he would say, docket number 1,325,450A is Brampi. Here's the file. First edition. There are 25 others. Bring them in. What will the judge say? I'm sorry, uh, this case was dealt with already when Jesus died on the cross. All you need to do is check the names. Satan, you forgot to check the names. There's a book of life, remember? And Satan will go, great, another one. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. Enemies of God, God says to Jesus, there's another enemy of mine. I want you to die for that enemy. If God left me in my sinful state, I would have said and did say before he saved me, I want nothing of that. No, thank you. No, 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 that, that's fine. I'll be okay. Some will say, well, I don't need that. That's a bit severe. You know, I, want, I don't want anyone to die for me. Almost like Peter who said, you know, Lord, Lord, don't worry. I'll sort this guy out. Let's take his ear and start there. Some will say, Happy to appear in the judgment hall because uh, compared to Saddam Hussein, I'm not that bad, really. In fact, compared to some people in the church that I know, I, th I think I'll be fine. Just measure, measure the good that I've done and the bad that I've done, and as long as the good weighs more than the bad, God is fair, He's just, He'll allow me in. I'll be fine, thank you. Not realizing that you are an enemy of God unless the full payment is made. And there's only one person that could make that full payment, and that's the one that Paul speaks of here in Romans. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You arrive in the portals of heaven, your name is in the book of life, you walk in, you meet God face to face. At some point in my life, I dreaded that because I thought the first discussion will be, we need to talk about some of the things that you did, Poiki. 
We need to discuss this. No. Reconciled. Reconciliation between God and man in this case that Jesus made available for us means that there will be no discussion of any of the bad that you did. Nothing. It's as if it never happened. If that does not motivate us to sin less, I don't know what will. Just turn to 1 Corinthians 15 for a moment. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 6. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. It's one of the most concise explanations of the gospel that should build our hope and trust in the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that, uh, that, he, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Don't you just love those small details in, in the Bible? <laughs> there's, there's no reason for the Holy Spirit to get uh, Paul to write to the Corinthians that last bit. Some, most of them are still alive, although some have fallen asleep. It's there. It, the detail is there. But the encouragement that we have that builds our hope in the gospel is that it's a fact of the past. Not only that, it's a fact of the past that was prophesied way before then in the Scriptures. The gospel saves you from the wrath of God that you deserve, reconciles you to God that you don't deserve. Number two, how can you get the gospel? Or how can you get that hope of the gospel? Well, there's actually nothing that you can do to get the hope. There's nothing you personally can do that will give it to you. You can't buy it. You can't bring your bank account. You can't bring your possessions. Uh, Mark, you can't bring your children. Nothing of value in this life that can do it. You can't work for it. You, you, you can't promise to become a missionary. I have to say to my shame, I actually did that once when I was in trouble. I did second best, became a pastor. You can't demand it, which I also did once. You can't say, I'm not as bad as those people are. In other words, I deserve it, so God must give it to me. You can't negotiate for it. You know, Lord, if, you, if you'll save me, then uh, I, will, I will never, ever... Watch porn again. Reading First Peter 1 verse 23 again. It does sound as if there is much that you must do, though. Listen again. Verse 23 of First Peter 1. If indeed you can... Uh, Colossians chapter 1, I'm sorry. Colossians 1 verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. I sometimes, fortunately, the longer I'm a Christian, the less it happens. But sometimes, if I look at my own life, I doubt my salvation. I wonder how it's possible for God to hold on to me in spite of or because of what I do. So I, I get to a point where I'm sometimes a little bit unstable 
and not so steadfast and, and shifting a little bit away from the hope of the gospel. But it only happens when I shift from the platform of trust. It's when I start looking at placing the hope in myself, my own ability to be diligent in studying of the Bible, to be diligent in serving, to be diligent in loving others, to be diligent in praying, to be diligent in becoming more like Christ. If I start looking at what I have done and not done, my measurement is skewed. When I go back again to reading what Paul and, and, and Peter wrote about what the gospel really is, that motivates me again to take that next, next step. Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope. Let's turn to Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 10. Probably the most well-known verses in the Bible about salvation and where the hope of salvation really comes from and is, is settled in. Ephesians 2 from verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before you were saved, nothing that you did could be could be qualified or quantified as good works. Everything was bad because it was done for selfish reasons and not for the worship of God. By God's grace, when you become a believer, the hope of the gospel is settled in you and you are able to do the good works that God prepared for you. You probably will never know what they are. And when you think this is the one, Lord, I just want to remind you that this morning at tea, I shared the gospel with this person, and they actually reacted. So, thank you very much. I think God will say, mm, not on my list of good works. Maybe on the list of your good works, but don't worry, I'll do the good work in that person anyway. How must we react? What is our responsibility? Dear friends, life happens, right? Circumstances happens. But you know what? You cannot blame your circumstances for your behavior. You choose how to react in every situation. Your reaction shows the attitude of your heart. It shows how much you are like Jesus or how much you are not yet like Jesus. Your behavior shows how much of the hope of the gospel you have and you live by. The pattern of your life the pattern of your life choices gives evidence of your status with God, saved or not. Are you part of the family of God or are you part of the family of the devil? There are only two, there are only two families. There was a time in, uh, in my life, in my family, that uh, my younger brother, came into the same school that we were, and uh, two of my other stepbrothers were also in the school, and uh, when the headmaster met my younger brother for the first time, his name is Peter, the headmaster said, oh, you are Brahms' brother. He said, no, I'm Christo's brother. 
because he didn't want me to be part of the family. I was the black sheep of the family. Are you part of the family of God? Or are you part of the family of the devil? John 1, verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You live out proof of salvation by regeneration, and your hope of the gospel is clear as you live it out. You may ask her, why is it important for Christians to live in the hope of the gospel? One of my most favorite verses in the Bible is 1 Peter 3, verse 15. I want to read from verse 13 just to show you the context. And we're almost done. 1 Peter 3, from verse, 15, from verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, here's the verse, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. So let me try and apply that. So let's assume that you have the hope of the gospel in you, you understand it, you believe it, you embrace it, you are where I am, and that is that I hope, and I hope that that hope is not the Springbok hope, but the, the Paul and the Peter hope, that the Lord will help me to live out that hope better and better for His glory. You must know that you are a sinner. You must know that you need a Savior. You must know that the only Savior is Jesus. Saving faith, saving faith is more than knowing the good news. There is no hope in only knowing the gospel. Let me explain it like this. If you enjoy wine and you go to a wine farm and you can't decide, which is a wise thing to do when you go to a, a wine farm, don't just go in there and buy the first wine. Go for a wine tasting. And the next wise thing to do is they give you a bowl, right? And the idea is that you take a swig of the wine, you taste it in the proper way. If you don't know how, I'll explain to you afterwards. You taste it and then you spit the wine out in the bowl. In that way, you can taste a number of different wines without getting intoxicated. But with the gospel, you can't just taste it and then spit it out. You have to partake in it. The gospel must become part of you. If you taste the gospel but you don't take it in, if you do not actively pursue sanctification, if you don't do what Paul says, that is, you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You enjoy it, it becomes part of you. You must question your own salvation. So yes, you must know that you are a sinner. You must know that you need a Savior. You must know that only Jesus saved. And you must also change into Christ-likeness. Otherwise, you're in trouble. If you swallow the, the wine, it has an effect. If you don't swallow it, 
doesn't have an effect. There is no hope in no change. So where is your focus of change? I'll give you a wrong and a right reaction. So we have the hope of the gospel, must have an effect on us. If, if it doesn't have an effect on us, put a question mark over your salvation and speak to someone. Or you bend the knee tonight, you go to Jesus, and you plead with Him to change you forever tonight. Wrong reaction. You, something happens in, in your life, and uh, you look at this and you say, I know this is sin. This is definitely sin, but what I see here is sin, and it's very clear that Brahm battles with the sin more than I do. Therefore, when he repents, maybe I will also. But he must repent. Or, another wrong reaction is, I've been caught out, and there are now going to be consequences because I've been caught out, and I'm going to lose out on a benefit, so I'll say I'm sorry doesn't help. Or you say, I know this is sin, but I'm not going to change now because there are benefits for me in not changing away from this sin now. I'll do it later. I've got time. I'll think about it again next Monday. You may be able to add your own wrong reactions. Here's the right reaction. Lord, although I have sinned against my wife, I know that I have sinned against you. And that's the real deal. I've dragged the name of Jesus through the mud. I'm going to stop and change. I know my sin. I hate it. And I will do whatever it takes to turn from that and turn back to Christ. Please help me, Lord. Some examples. Instead of gossip, I will practice gracious speech. Instead of judging others first, I'll find the fault in, in myself. Instead of ingratitude, I'll be thankful. Instead of stubbornness, I'll be gentle and agreeing with people more. Instead of being unwholesome or participating in unwholesome speech, I'll only use words that build others up. Instead of neglecting my own salvation, I'll prioritize the attention that I need to give to improve my Christ-like behavior. Instead of being impatient, I will fill my life with loving kindness. Instead of being harsh or cruel, I'll be gentle. My hope is in the gospel. I hope yours is too. One last reference, 1 John 1, verse 9. If you are here tonight and you are at a crossroad and you know it, and you are uncertain whether you really have the hope of the gospel. Here's a verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is not yet true for you. Ask God to make it true for you tonight. If this is true for you, look back at what God has done. Look back at what God can do and look forward to how you can hold on to the hope of the gospel and live a life that will be more effective as you show the hope that is in you. Let's pray. Our Father, as we contemplate the, the simple message of the gospel, 
we know that it has a profound effect uh, in our lives. It has an everlasting effect. So my prayer, first of all, is that is, if there is anyone here today who do not have the hope of the gospel, that tonight will be the last, the last night of their lives where they don't have that hope. Let us not leave here without the hope of the gospel. And for those of us, of us who have the hope of the gospel, help us to live lives of that hope as we display that hope, especially in difficult circumstances, especially when we, when we are treated unfairly, especially when people uh, stab us in the back, especially when we falter and fail. Let us live out that hope in such a way that many people will come to us, those who know us, our friends and family and neighbors and colleagues, that they'll come to us when they are desperate, when they are without hope, to ask us, where do you get your hope? I want that hope. May that be true for each one of us, for Christ's sake.